0: This is VOA News reporting by remote. I'm Michael Brown. The January 6th Congressional Panel has subpoenaed for President, former President Donald Trump's testimony on the Capitol attack. AP Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports.
1: Vice Chair Liz Cheney's committee has voted unanimously to subpoena Donald Trump.
2: We are obligated to seek answers directly from the man who set this all in motion.
1: Trump is almost certain to refuse. Shortly after the panel's hearing ended, he asked on social media why the committee did not ask him to testify months ago. Instead, the vote came at the end of a hearing that sought to delve into his post-election mindset. Donald Trump knew. He lost. But wanted to overturn his loss.
3: President Trump had a premeditated plan, purposeful lies.
2: It was intentional. His intent was plain ignore the rule of law and stay in power. In a staggering betrayal of his oath,
3: none of this is normal or acceptable or lawful in our republic.
1: Sagar Magani Washington.
0: The Supreme Court has rejected former President Trump's plea to step into the legal fight over seizure of classified documents during the FBI search of his Florida home. The high court refused to consider former President Trump's emergency appeal without commenting. The Trump team was asking the justices to overturn a lower court ruling and permit an independent arbiter or special master to review the roughly 100 documents with classified markings that were seized. A three-judge appellate court panel had sided with the Justice Department It argued there was no legal basis for the special master to conduct his own review of the classified records. For more news, please join us at our website, voanews.com or the VOA mobile app. Via remote, this says VOA News. South Korea says North Korea has launched a ballistic missile toward its eastern waters. South Korea's joint Chiefs of Staff says the launch happened early Friday, but gave no further details. It's the latest in a spate of missile launches by North Korea in recent days. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff says North Korea also flew warplanes near the rival's border late Thursday and early Friday, prompting South Korea to scramble fighter jets. There have been no reports of clashes between the two Koreas. A jury in the u.s spared florida school shooter nicholas cruz from the death penalty on thursday ap correspondent Ed donahue reports the jury could not reach a unanimous decision to sentence cruz to death instead it's life without parole
4: this should have been the death penalty a hundred percent
0: Lori alledeff's daughter was one of the 17 killed at marjorie stoneman douglas high school
4: i sent my daughter to school
5: And she was shot eight
0: times. Cruz, his hair unkempt, largely sat hunched over and stared at the table as the jury's recommendations were read. His lawyers claimed Cruz had a difficult upbringing. Linda Beagle Shulman's son was killed. She says prison life won't be easy for Cruz.
2: I hope he has the fear in him every second of his life, just the way he gave that fear to every one of our loved ones who he murdered.
0: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis agreed with the families, saying it stings that Cruz will not receive the death penalty. I'm Ed Donahue. Iraqi lawmaker has elected a new president in a key step toward ending a year-long political vacuum. Parliament voted for Abdul Rashid, a former minister, as president on Thursday. The session was threatened after nine rockets fell near the parliament building. Iraqi security officials say at least five people were wounded in the attack, including three civilians. There was no immediate claim of responsibility for the attack. A bus bombing in suburban Damascus killed 18 Syrian soldiers. Syrian state media, citing a military source, reported the blast on Thursday also wounded 27 others. Similar attacks in the past years have killed and wounded dozens of soldiers and government-held parts of the war-torn country. Saudi Arabia rejected an, not as based on fact, criticism of an OPEC decision last week to cut its oil production target, despite U.S. objections, and said on Thursday that Washington's request to delay the cut by a month would have had negative economic consequences. For more news, as always, we invite you to join us at our website, voanews.com or the VOA mobile app. Reporting by remote, I'm Michael Brown, VOA News.
3: Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the voice of America. I am James But in Washington. Today is Friday, October 14th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. A Nigerian appeals court drops charges against Biafra's separatist leader. I'm of the
6: view that every time from tomorrow, Nandekana will be free, and also we leave the present person to the BSS and also make other moves.
3: Malawi's president will today, Friday, preside over the country's first ever national day of unity and dialogue. An infectious disease expert urges Africa to respond effectively to outbreaks on the continent. An expert explains Africa's vote this week in the UN General Assembly on Russia's annexation of parts of Ukraine.
4: They are concerned about long standing double standards in the United Nations. Secondly, they have become too dependent. On outside paths for their survival.
3: And Cameroon says armed separatists prevent health workers from assisting Markey Park's victims. Those stories, plus, Samson O'Malley's Sports, are coming up on Daybrook Africa. For the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra, also known as IPOB, says he expects his client, Namdi Kano, will be released from further detention in federal prison today, Friday. This after an appeals court acquitted Kano of all charges on Thursday. The Nigerian government accuses Kanu and his IPOB organization of terrorism for calling for an independent state for ethnic Igbos in southeast Nigeria. Kanu was detained in Kenya last year and brought to Nigeria through what the Nigerian government called international cross border cooperation. Lawyer Ifiyanyi Ejiyo 4 tells me that the appeals court acquitted Kanu because it found that the way Kanu was abducted and brought to Nigeria was a gross violation of international laws and treaties to which Nigeria is a signatory. He raised an objection
6: to the the to try him at the Court. When he was abducted in Kenya and the sovereign revolution to Nigeria. And the court of appeal, we five grounds of appeal. One, that the manner in which he was abducted and the sovereign revolution to Nigeria is in gross violation of instant international laws and treaties and also African tribalism and people's rights and all any conventions, which Nigeria is a state that these are relevant laws that prohibit the abduction of Nigerian citizen or season of a, a contracting state in our country. And possibly render him to the country where they wanted the future. So the court considered the objection in its merit and the international laws rely law upon. Law. And the court condemned in its entirety the manner in which Mazin Mamikana was adopted in Kenya. And also, the court declared that no court in Nigeria, not even the law court, has a right for the right or the power to try him. Because the court has to inquire on the manner in which he was adopted and brought to Nigeria. He wasn't subjected to extradition proceedings before the Kenya court. The international law required him to be subjected to extradition proceedings in court in Kenya. Then, if at all, it's sanctioned by the Kenya law before being extradited to Nigeria. In this case, they stick him to Kenya, kidnapped him, and brought him in clear violation of these laws. And the court said, in view of this manner, which was brought into this country he cannot be subjected to any trial by any court.
3: carlo had been accused of treason and terrorism by the Nigerian government. He has also been preaching what the government call secession of Biafra. Does he plan to continue his campaign now?
6: The case is founded on nothing. You see, there's a procedural which you can bring somebody a defendant before the court. So in this case, the court also is of the opinion that before the court will look into. The legality or otherwise, or property otherwise of the charge being prepared against him. by the court she also, first of all, inquire about the manner in which she was brought before her. And since she have raised the issue of the manner in which she was abducted in Kenya, subjected to severe and degrading treatment and torture for almost eight days before being brought to Nigeria, that the court ought to have listened to that argument and determine I mean whether or another, whether the court has reason to proceed with trial. In this case, the court waits. He didn't to to look at those objections. So now, what the court is saying that even if he has to a sort of murder against Iman or terrorism, or whatever I can call it, no matter regardless, regardless of nature of the things, that there was a gross violation of international law in the manner in which it was brought. The government has, by violating that international law and justice, committed offense of and offense of terrorism. So in the eyes of that law, today, Iman is a victim of terrorism, committed an injustice. And what the Court of Appeal said today, that the Nigerian government has no power to try him in, in order other law, and should go.
3: Where is Mr. Kanu now? Has he been
4: released uh,
6: in, from jail? He, he's not over party for permission to let the Court of Appeal. So he's still in, uh, he in the cost of the USSR, he's in the pen. So the government will be bailed tomorrow at noon, and will will serve on the federal government. And the government is expected to immediately comply with that judgment upon this service. So I'm um, of the view that anytime from tomorrow, Nandi Kanu will be free and also we, we leave the present facility
3: of the DSS and also make other moves. We shall not be able to confidently discuss with you on this
6: platform. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure
3: to speak with you. Thank you, my boy, God bless you. four is the lawyer for Nandi Kanu, the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra. You're speaking with us from the Nigerian capital, Abuja. Malawi's President Lastro Chakwera will today Friday preside over the first ever National Day of Unity and Dialogue at the country's international convention center in Lilongwe. This comes amid recent protests in the country, some of which call for the president to resign for what they say is his failure to alleviate the suffering of Malawians from economic hardship. Timothy Mtambo, Malawi's national unity minister, tells me that the purpose of the National Day of Unity and Dialogue is for citizens to understand that no country can develop when its people are not united.
7: His Excellency the President, Dr. Azras Makase Chakwera, upon his assumption of power, he decided to create a Ministry of National Unity and Civic Education. He identified that uh, a country that is not united cannot move forward because citizens must unite to take the development agenda of the country forward and the aspect of civic education is basically to look at how best can we change the mindsets of our citizens so our development vision which is malawi 2063 has capably identified that mindset change should be a new enabler for our new direction and the ambition and vision of this development agenda is to say we need to build a proud people. So the day of national unity and dialogue is a day where Malawians should meet together and reflect and celebrate about our peace and unity. When you look at our founding documents, the constitution of the Republic of Malawi, when you look at the national anthem, when you look at the government emblems, they all preach and talk about peace and unity. Therefore, the day of national unity and dialogue is a day that brings all Malawians together. We want to put Malawi first.
3: So has any of the opposition... Parties accepted to participate? Because I'm asking this question because President Chakwera has been under attack recently by his opposition, who claimed that he has not fulfilled his mandate since he was elected, and the Malawians are suffering. Have you invited any of the opposition party leaders, and are they going to attend?
7: We have invited all the political parties all the opposition party leaders, members of the opposition party. And tomorrow we expect all of them to come. Actually, what I would like to say is that uh, to say President Chakwera has not fulfilled his mandate is not true. Actually, the president has got five years' term. You can't talk about somebody failing to fulfill the mandate has not finished the journey. The president is laying a very strong foundation for the development of our country. And for me, I would like to say that, uh, you know, we need to remove the spirit and the heart of bitterness. Of course, I can see that there is a lot of bitterness. Uh, There is a lot of spirit of saying, okay, if it is not me, then no one. We are asking everyone, and we're calling all the citizens for national healing. When there is a leader, we must support the leadership to spur our country into prosperity. So my appeal to all the opposition parties is to say, let us work together, develop our country. There is time that we should put politics aside. We should all unite for development, or be proud of.
3: What sort of activities are going to be involved in the celebration or in the observance of the National Day of Unity?
7: To begin with, we had a two-day all-inclusive national conference on peace and unity, and the product of this conference We have developed the first-ever Peace and Unity Charter for Malawi. And tomorrow is the day that it will be signed by the president and different arms of government and different interest groups, religious leaders, traditional leaders, politicians. They are going to sign the charter. Number two, we are going to have all the cultural groupings of this country. And we are going to have exhibition of different cultural activities. This platform should be able to promote understanding, uh, tolerance. We want to promote national, social, and cultural cohesion. There will also be all the political parties, young people from different political parties. We need to understand to say, even though we come from different political parties, but ultimately, we are Malabians. We all pay allegiance to the frag of the Republic of Malawi.
3: Minister Mtambo, it's so nice to talk with you and thank you very much. My
7: pleasure and God bless you.
3: That was Timothy Mtambo, Malawi's National Unity Minister. He was speaking with us from Lilongwe. A former UN Under Secretary General for Political Affairs says he is not surprised by this week's vote in the UN General Assembly concerning Russia's annexation of four Ukrainian territories. 26 African countries voted in favor of the resolution to reject the annexation. Nineteen others abstained. Ambassador James Jonas tells me that the vote reflects three problems confronting African countries when it comes to the United Nations, including their concerns about being punished by the superpowers and being too dependent on outside powers for their survival.
4: You know that African countries and even many in the global south have three problems. The first problem is this they are concerned about long-standing double standards in the United Nations. Secondly, they have become too dependent on outside powers for their survival, economic and otherwise. And thirdly, they are concerned about being punished if they vote the wrong way. You may also recall that at the beginning of the debate, The Russian delegation tried to get a secret ballot on the resolution. On the grounds that they have information that a number of countries in the global south are being pressured to vote in favor of that resolution. That proposal by Russia was rejected by the General Assembly so i'm not surprised really by the results of the voting for the simple reason that if you take out russia and put to all members of the general assembly whether they accept occupation or an accession you may get the overwhelming majority saying they don't accept it in principle so those african states and those who may be also
3: in the global south have tried to abstain, Ambassador. That that that's what I want to ask you. The word, yes, the word, abstain. Now, in a layman's term, let's say, if South Sudan, South Africa, Uganda, and others abstained, does that mean they support Russia's annexation of uh, parts of Ukraine? or they are against what does it mean to abstain
4: james this is what i'm trying to give you i'm giving you it does not mean that but these people who may have abstained have maybe in the view of some courageously rejected pressure to put one way or the other and abstain but as i said in principle i don't know of any united Nations member that would accept the idea of occupation and annexation. But they know that we have many cases now in the books of the United Nations General Assembly where member states have occupied and they have annexed, and there have been no repercussions. But what the UN has always said all those states, and there are many, who have annexed occupied territories that this will be null and void. That's what the General Assembly, it has expressed its views. But you have to remember also that it's an expression of views. We don't have that in the security of the Council.
3: Ambassador Jonah, it's always good to come back to a person like you to provide the information necessary for understanding of the working of the United Nations. Thank you so much.
4: You're welcome, James.
3: Ambassador James Jonas is the former UN Under Secretary General for Political Affairs. He was speaking with us from New York. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Butty in Washington. Today is Friday, October 14th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley's Horse. head of the African Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says Africa must plan to respond effectively to disease outbreaks without outside help. Warning that Africa is on its own during pandemics. Ackman Aguel was speaking this week to African public health officials gathered in Kampala, Uganda to plan cross-border cooperation for responding to Ebola outbreak. Dr. Amanch Adaja is an infectious disease expert at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore, Maryland. He tells viewers, Carrie Van Dam, that when there is a disease emergency, countries where the outbreak is not occurring are often reluctant to get involved.
2: There is a lag, that it's very reactive, and when the actions are taken, they're often domestically aimed, for example, travel screenings or travel bans, rather than actually dealing with the outbreak at its source. We've seen this time and time again from Ebola in 2013, 2014 to monkeypox to the current Ebola outbreak in Uganda. It's always going to be the case that many of the countries of the world are not going to be concerned until the outbreak impinges on their borders, even though that's short sighted and doesn't reflect the, the nature of infectious disease. It's a tendency of political leaders to play to their domestic audience and to be very reactive instead of proactive. So that leaves continents like Africa needing to build up their own capacity to be able to be the first response, to be able to durably suppress an infectious disease outbreak there without external help.
4: There's an outbreak of Ebola in Uganda for which there is no vaccine. Is Uganda handling the outbreak, Archon?
2: The outbreak of Ebola in Uganda is very concerning because it's with a strain of Ebola for which we have no countermeasures. Uh, the Ugandan government is trying to uh, handle this with contact tracing, with personal protective equipment, and they are relying on some help from Doctors Without Borders and, and other NGO organizations, But I think that time will tell whether the actions that they're taking are going to be sufficient to suppress this outbreak. Uganda has dealt with Ebola outbreaks maybe a half dozen times before. So there is confidence that they can handle this outbreak. But we will see uh, because there are cases now, at least one case reported in, in the capital city. And it becomes much more difficult when you're dealing with Ebola in urban environments than when you're dealing with it in rural environments. So I think it's going to take some time to know how well the actions that they're taking are, are going to impact. This outbreak, but I suspect it will eventually be extinguished because Ebola is not a very contagious disease, but the quicker that it gets extinguished, the safer everybody will be.
4: Africa's 54 countries have not received adequate international support in recent health crises according to certain experts. Do you agree with that?
2: The, the case with infectious disease emergencies and global health crises is often that countries focus domestically on how the crisis will impact their domestic population and other parts of the world are an afterthought. And the danger is that when you're talking about a communicable infectious disease outbreak, there's no guarantee that it stays in one place. And the longer you allow it to fester in one area, the greater risk that you have in other parts of the world and the harder it's going to be to contain. That being said, that's not something that most political leaders or policymakers are receptive to because it's something that has a larger timescale. So yes, it is always the case that continents like Africa do get ignored for some period of time until it becomes something that becomes inignorable rather than actually dealing with the problem early on. So it never becomes a bigger problem that's harder to control. But again, that requires a level of foresight and long range thinking that is often not present in many political leaders around the world.
3: That was Dr. Amej Adaja, an infectious disease physician with the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and a senior scholar with Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. You are speaking with my colleague Carol Van Damme. Health authorities in Cameroon say they have confirmed a monkeypox outbreak in the town of Mbongue on the western border with Nigeria. But they say armed separatists are stopping health workers from investigating hundreds of suspected cases of the virus, which can be fatal, especially in young children, if left untreated. Moki Edwin
5: Kinzika reports from Yaoundé. Cameroon government officials say health workers have been deployed to the districts of Kumba and Bongue to communicate to civilians with suspected monkeypox infections to immediately isolate and avoid contact with other people and animals, including pets. Kumba and Bongue are districts located in Cameroon's English speaking southwest region near the border with Nigeria. Emmanuel Lenya Nefenda is the highest-ranking Cameroon public health official in Kumba. He says they are educating civilians after a suspected monkeypox infection was confirmed in Kumba. He says the case of Kumba was reported after the confirmation by Cameroon public health officials of a monkeypox outbreak in Bole Bakundu, a village in Bonge. Nefenda says everyone should protect themselves from monkeypox, which is highly contagious. People should avoid eating wild animals. They should avoid being beaten by wild animals. Of course, they should avoid contact with wild animals. Apart from that, they should keep the environment clean. Clean by wearing clothes that are properly clean, not the ones that are, let me say, bush clothes, where rats and other animals have defecated or they have had contact with, for which case the contraction and the transmission can be affected. Moki. Edwin Kinzaka, for VON News, Yaoundé. Cameroon.
3: Time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria, a very good Friday morning to you,
1: Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with Nigeria's Super Eagles goalkeeper, Francis Uzoho, who was in top form as his club, Omonia Nikosa, clashed with Manchester United in the UEFA Europa League match on Thursday night. Uzoho had denied Cristiano Ronaldo and Marcus Rashford from scoring, and the process accrued an impressive... 12 saves, with nine of them coming from inside the box and only conceded in the 93rd minute. Uzoho, who trended on Twitter for his great performance in the match and even caught the eyes of top footballer Cristiano Ronaldo, said Thursday night's performance against the Reds was arguably one of his very best in recent times.
5: I am, I am part of my teammates most especially because it was not a one-man job. We, we gave everything out there in the team and uh, in the field. So um, and I'm also, like I said, happy with my performance. and uh, okay, I, I am not disappointed, though, well, because I, we had a great game. Uh, but uh, I would have uh, preferred to, to get at least a point. But I'm happy. It's not an easy stadium to play in with these big players. The match
1: ended 1-0 in favour of the home team, Manchester United. Staying with football news, the head coach of Nigeria Under-17 Women's National Team, Bankole Oluwakere has assured that the Flamingos will bounce back against New Zealand after Tuesday's opening 2-1 defeat to Germany at the Under-17 Women's World Cup in India. The Flamingos clash with New Zealand in a must-win battle at the Jawaharlal Nehru Stadium on Friday to guarantee their chances of advancing from Group B. Oluwakere said the girls had learnt their lessons from the defeat and were ready to take on the New Zealanders.
4: The areas that we are, we are first shot, we'll be able to work on that. We'll come back to the field, we'll be able to make one or two corrections. There are some mismatchs that we have there that we'll pay daily for.
5: So we'll be able to correct that and other tactical things that uh, we need to correct on. So we'll be able to work on that one.
1: In basketball news, Bangui Sporting Club of Central Africa Republic on Thursday night booked their place to the round of 16 ahead of the Basketball African League slated for November in d'Ivoire and South Africa after beating New Nueva era BBC of Equatorial Guinea 69 60 in Yaounde. The Alpha Mane coach team, who survived a last minute scare from the Nueva era BBC side after taking a solid 17 point lead into the last quarter, managed to hang on until the end, giving them a perfect 100% record after two games in Group B in the West Division of the Road to the Basketball African League. In golf news, the senior category of the 2022 Uganda Golf Open would tee off on Friday morning at the Par 72 Lake Victoria Serena Golf Resort and Spa Course in Kigo Wakiso District in Uganda. A total of 49 senior golfers have been pulled in the opening round draws. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson. Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's
3: it for this Friday, October 14th edition of Daybreak Africa. I am James in Washington.